Hey everyone, it's time for another episode of the Macrovisor podcast, and we're going to talk a little bit about some of the mixed signals that we are seeing. This week kicked off with ISM manufacturing PMI. It came in a little better than expected at 46.4 versus a forecast of 46.9. And looking into the report, we did cover some of the themes here, but backlogs improved a little bit, but employment is slowing further. We also saw JOLT's job openings come in lower than the previous number and forecast. ADP non-farm employment came in at 324,000 versus a forecast of 191,000. It was a big, big beat. A lot of that was from small and medium-sized businesses, the larger creator of jobs this time around, particularly travel and leisure, the service that led the way higher. Unemployment claims came in just a little higher than forecast on a seasonally adjusted basis, but on a non-seasonally adjusted basis, they came in materially lower than the prior week. We are seeing some strengthening in states like New York, where the services industry shed quite a bit less jobs than the week prior. The improvement there was about 95 500 week over week. Then, of course, we got non-farm payrolls today, which were actually a bit weaker than expected at 187,000 versus a forecast of 205,000. Unemployment came in better than expected at 3.5%. That was also an improvement from the prior level. And hourly earnings came in a little higher than expected at an improvement of 0.4% month over month. So what does it all tell us? Well, in the ISM services PMI data that we got on Thursday, we wrote about this a little bit in an article, it showed that employment trends are slowing, that there's still growth, but it's closer to neutral. We're seeing a little bit of that in the NFP data as well. Although underneath the surface of that data, I saw one thing that was interesting to me, and that is that the growth in jobs shifted more from goods to services, suggesting that services are really what holds up NFP here. You can get the data on our private Twitter feed if you'd like to check out a more detailed breakdown of it. But I think it's interesting just to take into consideration what are some of the drivers here. A lot of them are telling us that these could be some initial signs of a little bit of slowing, but services is still growing. And by some measures, if we look at NFP, it would suggest some of that growth is accelerating a little bit. When we look at ISM services PMI, we see a little bit of a different picture. So a lot of mixed signals overall in the labor market. That's something that we'll keep an eye on because often when trends are shifting, if that is indeed what's happening here, it's not a very straightforward process. There will be head fakes along the way in data that's why we have to look underneath the numbers. We also look at uh, also have to look at revisions. The last month's non-farm payrolls was also revised down about thirty thousand. So it also came in below two hundred thousand, which is an important threshold to keep an eye on. So net net, when we're taking a look at all of this data, it suggests there's some signs of slowing, but it doesn't tell us that necessarily we're going into a contraction in the labor market. More, it suggests that open jobs shrinking modestly, jobs growth shrinking appreciably, particularly with some of the backward looking revisions. But the services industry also telling us that job growth is moderating. Although underneath the surface in non-farm payrolls, we see some signs that services is actually a area where there's some strength. So there's some data between ISM services PMI and what we saw with non-farm that needs to be reconciled. 
I think that for ADP, after I did some research on it today, they have a lot of small business clients. I think it's about 800,000. So a lot of the data from ADP for me is most important looking at what the trends are in smaller companies. For larger companies, they have a smaller sample size overall, which makes sense. Larger companies are going to have a larger concentration of employees. But what I also found out today that was interesting is Intuit does payrolls for about 1.1 million companies which is pretty significant. It'd be really cool if we could get our hands on that data to cross compare. Unfortunately, it's not publicly available. It does go to credit rating agencies. Uh, that was something that was news to me when I was looking to see if there were any reports from Intuit available on employment data. But the most important element that we're watching for are trends. Trends that shape a different macro landscape in the future than what we may be seeing at present. In order to quantify those trends, we need to see shifts in the data that suggest something is changing. And so for the macrovisor model on projecting where the economy might go, some of the inputs where we are right now suggest that we should be weighting the health of the services industry pretty heavily because the U.S. economy is driven by the services industry. It is by far the largest business contribution to the economy. And it's also the largest source of employment. Recessions don't tend to happen unless we see large amounts of job losses. So it stands to reason that until the services industry goes into a multi-month contraction and we see jobless claims rising above 300,000 per week for also well over a month, unemployment rising above 4% and moving higher, that is gonna be necessary to qualify that the real economic slowdown could be coming. Thus far, we've not seen anything approaching that, which explains some of the resilience in the economy. Even though there have been a lot of macro risks that have caused many, including myself, to look at maybe there could be a slowdown earlier than what's happened so far, there has been this impressive resilience in the economy. We've got the fiscal impulse from a lot of the federal spending helping to pull forward demand, helping to elongate the duration of this credit cycle. On the other side of it, however, we are approaching the fiscal uh, peak in terms of that impulse, in terms of the inflow of funds from the Inflation Reduction Act and the Chips and Science Act. The government's also upscaled its treasury issuance to $1 trillion, but what's more important than the size is the tenors that are being used. It's likely we're going to see more notes and bonds. And that could have a negative impact on liquidity, but it could have a positive impact on the government spending on in interest, right? If we annualize where interest rate spending is happening from the government in terms of it paying down the interest owned, owed on U.S. government debt, it's annualized at a rate based on last quarter's expenses of approaching a trillion dollars a year. We can't deal with that level of interest spend without having better uses for that money that we ought to consider, which means the composition of the U.S. government's balance sheet, the debt that's being issued, needs to be across the yield curve because it makes a lot more sense here and now to issue debt on the longer end or even in the middle than it does on the very short end just based on interest expenses. Now, maybe that will change over time. But for the moment, that's what makes sense, and that's something that the Treasury is looking into, and that could have some impacts that shift a little bit of the fiscal benefit 
to being a fiscal liability. That is to say, we have all that fiscal impulse working itself off over the next month or so. Those reserves uh, that, that have been added from that will eventually be drawn down to pay bills and other expenses. And then we have the other side of it where you have a lot of treasury issuance that is going to potentially draw down bank reserves to some degree, but at least pull liquidity out of the system. The benefit will be the government will have a little bit more elasticity in its budget, but this could have an impact on what we see in the services industry and greater labor market trends. So that's what we're looking for is some of the shifts from what we saw earlier this year changing to look a little bit different as we approach the later part of this year. Another would be how the tightening effect of central banks hasn't really been felt for the majority of 2023 and how we may start to feel that again. Of course, we did see some impact when Silicon Valley Bank failed and First Republic Bank failed, but the Fed came in to assuage those concerns in the market by creating that bank term funding program. That, of course, allowed some of that tension to be ameliorated in the market because banks felt, okay, well, as long as we have qualifying assets, we're okay. And we can even go to this facility and turn in qualifying assets and potentially have more capital to lend against at higher rates. And so they have. So we haven't really seen the kind of tightening in financial conditions or in credit conditions that both the Fed thought could happen and also we thought were quite possible. That may have elongated the credit cycle, but it may have also simply pushed off what may be its conclusion rather than canceled it. I know that there's ideas of a soft landing or no landing scenario, and I think that these are very interesting and potentially imaginative ideas. They certainly capture the hearts and minds of many that want to believe that that's possible. And I'm not saying it's not. I'm just saying it's less likely. I don't believe that the premise of a soft landing is possible until we qualify that we've landed or are landing. And so far, we still see a lot of data suggesting that we have not yet landed. Now we can throw non-farm payrolls in the mix. We can also look at a number of other leading economic indicators that suggest the same, including what we've been seeing in ISM manufacturing and new orders overall across services and manufacturing slowing down, manufacturing new orders down for about 11 months. There's just been a lot of signs across the board that some of the leading data suggests that we aren't yet at a point where the economy has stopped slowing. Now, GDP came in. It was quite a bit better than expected for the initial read on the second quarter. Let's see how that data is revised over time. One thing that's been a big theme this year is revisions lower. Let's see if that ends up being the case here. Um, I would be a little bit concerned if the economy is running that hot in the context of the immaculate disinflation that many have been hoping for and seeing. This is another theme that we've been talking about at Macrovisor that we think there is some potential for the inflation situation to get a little heated again. That is to say, July's data that we get later in August could come in hotter than what we saw in June because the base effects from last year are rolling off. And as they roll off, we start to see that inflation data year over year has less favorable comparable data because inflation from the perspective of commodity prices rising last year started to really roll off around July as some of the pricing in of the worst case scenario in Ukraine began to roll off in markets. They began to become more liquid again and prices started to settle down. So year over year comparisons are already challenged from that factor.
But there are several other factors to layer on. Another is the reacceleration of the housing market that started earlier this year and rentals moving up. These have lagged impacts that could continue to provide a floor, particularly under CPI, where there's about a third of its waiting in shelter. Then we also have rising energy, metals, and food prices for much of the month of July. And that, too, could boost up the prices that we see compared month over month and year over year, which may also lend to a higher CPI and PCE print. This may change a bit of the outlook from Fed speakers and what we hear at Jackson Hole. But overall, it may also change the outlook that the market sees. We've already seen the long end of the yield curve move appreciably higher. And part of that has to do with the market pricing out recession and pricing in inflation and growth and looking at the longer end saying, look, if you're going to trust the government with, you know, 10, 20, 30 years of your money, you want an appreciably higher interest rate. There's going to be a higher price for growth if prices are moving up this much. And it makes sense, right? You don't want to hold that debt for too long if the money, the principal is being eroded faster than the interest that you're being paid on the debt is compensating you. So... I think that's a theme that we need to watch for. The long end of the yield curve, commodity prices, those are going to be leading indicators, particularly looking at gasoline, West Texas Intermediate crude. Those are key indicators because there's a high correlation between the price of energy and inflation. I know it's netted out in core numbers, so we need to look at it a little differently there. But we have so many different drivers that may start to undermine the immaculate disinflation theme that we need to be cognizant of them as we go into these data prints. Now, is it going to be the sort of reactions that we were seeing in 2022 when CPI was arguably the most volatile print and in even parts of 2023? No, I don't I don't think we're going quite back to that regime, but I do think we could get some unpleasant surprises that cause a little bit of repricing in duration assets like bonds, like potentially uh, some of the riskier stocks and some of the crypto elements. But I also think that it's important to realize that this is a theme. This is a theme that we've been talking about a little bit as well. I just published a video on the Macrovisor website at macrovisor.com called From Abundance to Scarcity. And the theme here is that we are starting to see signs that there is a lack of supply in a number of key areas, five elements, labor, capital, metals, energy, and food. So in labor, we're seeing a lack of supply. We can see it in the labor force numbers where there's 1.6 open jobs for every one unemployed person who has unemployment insurance who's seeking work. That's a tight labor market. We have a some degree of scarcity in capital because of the appreciably higher interest rates and some modicum of tightening in credit conditions, but not as much as maybe one would have expected with everything that's happened and where we are now. But that is a theme that is likely to continue, particularly if inflation does start to come back. Or we start to see an appreciable economic slowdown that increases default risk. There's a number of drivers that could tighten credit conditions. So a scarcity of capital, a scarcity of energy. We had the lowest exploration numbers of new discoveries in 2021 that we'd seen in about 70 years. That's a big deal. We don't have enough energy production coming online in a time where the, the world economy is to some degree slowing, at least in many places. And yet we don't have 
that much of an appreciable discount in the price of oil because of how tight supply and demand dynamics are. Then we have metals, and base metals are a similar story to oil, where there's just not enough effort in exploration and there's a lack of production. Some of this is dealing with a slower economy and China no longer being a large consumer of these, but it is likely to be a problem moving forward, particularly in a world that wants to rely more off renewable energy and different types of storage and electronic vehicles. That's going to require a lot of copper. So just really have to be am aware of these themes and, and the implications that they could potentially have. Then moving on, another one that we're paying very close attention to is food because we have more erratic weather patterns. We have overall hotter weather. We have areas where there's droughts, areas where there's floods, some vacillation between the two in some places that leads to less predictable crops. That leads to less predictable outcomes that we have to basically take into consideration, right? Because this means that a number of different core components of the supply chain have tighter supply dynamics. They're inelastic and that could impact prices with any kind of shock or increase in demand. These are components of that theme, abundance of scarcity. You can check out the videos on our website. We'll be talking a lot more about this theme in the weeks and months to come, as well as the opportunities to invest because that is the key. We look for themes where there is the opportunity to invest. We also identify areas where risk could be appreciably higher. And this is going to be one of those themes where we go into detail in all of that. The investment opportunities that could be over the next three, five, 10 year time horizon from this abundance to scarcity theme, as well as the risks that are potentially areas to avoid. So stay tuned for that. And overall, we're always open to your feedback and your suggestions. So if you want to see different types of content from us, get in touch with us. You can always write us hello at macrovisor.com. We love to hear from our friends and our fans out there. And if you listen to us in a major podcast service like Apple, Amazon, Google, or Spotify, consider leaving us a review with your feedback. And thank you everyone for tuning in. We hope you have a great weekend ahead and we'll catch you next week.